a dating and makeover expert where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. When faced with a conflict, do you apologize? Do you agree? Are you overly accommodating? And when in a stressful situation with someone, are you more likely to compromise or hide your true feelings? And then, of course, afterwards, you find yourself building resentment for that person and you have guilt on top of that for being angry at them. If that sounds like you, conflicts in relationships often trigger tremendous anxiety in you. And if you think about what makes the conflict so upsetting, I mean, they're messy, right? And they stir up feelings of discomfort. They might reawaken old fears and anxieties. And these unwanted feelings can cause a lot of body reactions, like a racing heart. You might sweat a lot. Here's the thing, and you know, when I was a therapist, I used to work on this quite a bit, that those reactions are often triggered from the trauma of your past. So this, even like the smallest conflict, something that maybe other people think isn't such a big deal, for you might be paralyzing. Um, you know, it could be because you came from a family where there was a lot of conflict and you learned to keep the peace by being quiet. And it could be because there was an old, you know, caretaker that just wasn't there for you. And when you were anxious as a child, they weren't there to soothe you. So as an adult, when conflict arises, you're more likely to isolate or retreat. So you appear cold, uncaring, or unreachable, but deep down, you struggle with feelings of emptiness and worthlessness. You know, few people know the real you because you keep yourself hidden from others. Even though in your mind, you're trying to make the peace and be nice, people really can't feel you. But avoiding conflict causes a lot more conflict in relationships. That's that's the whole thing. I mean, you might hide your feelings, you store up frustration, you neglect your own needs. I was working with a client and this was really recent. And in, I got, I want to say a couple months ago, she came to me and she told me like, she hates conflict. She never states her true feelings. And, and this has been her whole life. And when she first came to me, she was single. She couldn't find a man who she could develop an emotional intimacy with. But the truth was that her inability and fear around stating her needs and expressing herself when things didn't feel right and the lack of confidence was causing these like superficial and disconnected relationships so they would never progress. And this, of course, was connected to the emotional abandonment she felt as a child. And she would spend so much energy trying to gain her parents' love by being the good girl and high achiever. And that's who she is today. So she needed to see her worth first and foremost and stop shape-shifting into what men wanted of her. And of course, after working together... You know, we we started working on her sexy feminine side. I wanted to see her value both outside and in. And we were doing a lot of exercises around her self-esteem. But more importantly, speaking her truth. And then she lands this great guy, I'm happy to say. And, you know, funny enough, they are actually living together during this, you know, quarantine time. So she is really faced with 
oh my God, I got to express my feelings and I, how do I express my needs in wanting space? And we just had a phone coaching session around this. And here's the thing that she was saying. She, she had all this anxiety. There was an incident with her and her guy where she was scared to say that she needed space because he wanted to do something with her. And I asked her, well, what's uncomfortable about having that tough conversation of you needing your own time? And she said, well, I want to please him. I want to I want to keep making him happy so he'll stay with me. So we talked about how she was doing that at work also to avoid her coworkers being mad at her. So I said to her, the very thing that she was avoiding, which was conflict, was And that, in her mind, was the discomfort, right? But it was actually creating more conflict and confusion around her. And because of that, she was feeling really depleted and disempowered. And we talked about how actually she was not helping anyone by depleting herself. Like, it was the classic case of putting the oxygen mask on before the kids when a plane is going down. And her plane was going down, and she was trying to put the oxygen mask on everybody else. So... We, we practiced, you know, expressing herself and stating her needs. And, and in fact, as she's been doing this, they have been more intimate and open in their communication. You know, learning to work through conflict stabilizes your sense of self and it boosts your confidence. But most importantly, it brings you closer to others. In your mind, you don't think it is, but it actually is the reverse of what you're thinking. So I have someone here today with me who is going to deep dive even more more into this as he believes that tough conversations we avoid are our doorways to confidence, success, and love. A former consulting actuary to Fortune 100 companies, including Sony Music, Chanel, and Exxon, he left his Cushy Park Avenue job 20 years ago to build the world's largest coaching business. He became number one on Google for life coaching, serving an audience of 150,000 coaches and coaching thousands of hours in 12 countries around the globe. Wow. And alongside his clients' successes, he is no stranger to overcoming challenges himself. Having survived a full collapse of his paraglider and a fractured spine, gosh, I want to hear about this, witnessing the death of his sister at age seven, anxiety and depression, and the National Gong Show. What the? (laughs) I can't wait to hear about that. He's the author of Get Paid for Who You Are with forward by Jack Canfield, and he was nominated to the Transformational Leadership Council alongside thought leaders like Don Miguel Ruiz, John Gray, and presidential candidate Marianne Williamson. He coaches high-performing entrepreneurs, executives, and teams, and now prison inmates to create amazing results and deep connections. One tough conversation at a time. I love this. David Wood, hi, are you there? Yes, Kim. Hi, it's so I'm good to right have here. you here. Thank you. And uh, I, I made a bunch of notes as you were doing that, that lead-in. We've got so much good stuff to talk about. I know, right? Well, and I, that's what I was saying because you were asking before, like, how long do we have? And like, we could go on and on and maybe we'll have you back for part two because I know we're just going to get into this. But I, I have a question because I, I don't, no, I mean, I was intrigued by your personal story. And I wondered, you know, if you just hearing a little bit how you got into this and this focus around tough conversations and a little bit of your backstory. Sure. Well, I grew up in a country town in Australia and I was uh, really good at math. And 
Uh, so I, I discovered actuarial science, which is about statistics and probability and the, the odds of people dying and all of that. And I ended up getting a job in New York at the age of 23, consulting to some really big names. I was going to Sony Music and, uh, and Ford and Exxon. And I'm like, I've got it made. This is awesome. I'm on the partner track. And then someone suggested a self-help seminar. And it was a whole new world. Once I got past the name tags and the, the fact that everyone was smiling way too much, I, I, they cracked open my cynicism and I coached somebody in the course and changed her life overnight and was, was hooked. I'm like, this is amazing. So they trained me as a coach. And then I found out a year later that someone had a business card. This was back in 1997, 98. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, what? this is a profession? You could make money doing this? I quit my job and I started exploring some some of the things I really wanted to do. And one of them was being a professional entertainer. I wanted to play guitar mm. and dress up in, in wigs and kilts and, and just entertain people. So I did that for a year and a half. And then the oh coaching my God, I want to see pictures of that, by the way. Oh, you totally <laughs> do. In fact, if you, if you Google Mr. Woody. Mr. Woody. Hey, okay. Mr. Woody and Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. Actually, there's a tiny URL, which is tinyurl.com forward slash MR Woody. If you put that in, you will see me in a kilt on our equivalent of the National Gong Show. And it was one of the most terrifying experiences in my life to go out on national TV. And I'm not a good singer. I'm not a strong singer. And I was like, I'm going to mess up the words, the chords. I'm going to get the wrong key and I'm going to be embarrassed on national TV. So that was a huge uh, event in my life, but I'm not a good singer. So fortunately I think that (laughs) career didn't take off and I was, and I was starting to do more and more coaching. I built my coaching business and I took to it like a duck to water and I was good at internet marketing because I'm good with numbers and systems So Mm. I built up that business and along the way, I kept developing myself. Every time I'd do another landmark education course, they'd have me make another list of people that I felt incomplete with, which means anyone you don't feel great about. And I'd have to Mm -hmm. make these lists of people and call them. And I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm not going to call the bully from high school 20 years ago and have a conversation (laughs) with him. I'm not going to call the girl who broke up with me twice and gave me the cold shoulder twice. I'm not going to do that. But every time they would coach me through it and I'd work out what I was afraid of and what the upside might be and they gave me a way to access it and I'd make these really tough calls and my life changed a bit each time I did. And Mm. I think that's how I ended up gravitating towards tough conversations because I care about truth and being Mm -hmm. real. You talked about hiding yourself in the intro. And I, I just made a life practice of coming out of the closet with all the areas of myself that I think uh, should get, be kept hidden. And tough conversations are a great, great way to practice truth and courage. So that's, that's so true. Today. That is so true. I mean, when you speak your truth and you have that tough conversation, there's no mask that's on. I mean, that that is the real person. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the authenticity and, and sometimes authenticity, I feel like is almost overused these days, that word, you know, cause I think 
that people can even fake authenticity. So that that's why I think the tough conversations, I mean, that that's where the discomfort is, right? And so it sounds like you really learned how to overcome that. Well, I was interested what you said about, you know, getting rejected from women, giving you the cold shoulder. <laughs> like what were, because a lot of people on here are single, you know, and, and they are dealing with rejection and or they're modifying their behavior so that maybe their date will like them, you know, or they're not speaking up when they don't like a restaurant or some, you know, like it plays out in different ways, albeit small, but big in the scheme of things, right? So what were some things that you personally did to overcome some of those fears of rejection to express your needs? I don't want anybody hearing this to think that the key is to Mm -hmm. overcome all that fear or to get rid of it. What uh, I have a four-step process called the CARE model. And if you follow the process and fill in the worksheet for these conversations, I think that'll take away a lot of the fear to the point where you might have access to having the conversation now. So that's true. Mm. I can talk about some things that, that will help to reduce that. But I don't want people to think that you need to be totally confident to have the conversation because part of what makes it tough is the vulnerability of exposing yes. yourself and not mm-hmm. being able to control the outcome. Yes. Do to, I, I'm happy to go yeah. either oh or both of those. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so with you on that. Well, and I think that's part of the control, you know, like maybe why people don't speak up because they're they they're that they're scared of that vulnerability piece. Yeah. Albeit but, losing control, right? Yeah, exactly. So knowing that you may not get rid of all of the fear and that's okay, here mm-hmm. are some things that I find are really useful to help drop the fear to the point where you might actually be willing to go and talk to somebody and speak your truth. Because that's what this is about. This is not about having a tough conversation for me. This is about Mm. you speaking your truth. And if it turns out that it's a tough conversation, okay, you may find that it's an easy conversation. But let's speak our truth 30% more than we currently do. Now, here's some things that will help. And we'll we'll give listeners, we'll give you the download at the end of this episode so you don't have to write everything down. The worksheet will ask you some of these questions. What's your hope from having the conversation? This is where you generate some kind of upside. Often when we think of a tough conversation, we kind of know what could go wrong and we we might know why we're scared about it, but we don't know why we would even have the conversation. So when you answer this question, you're generating an upside that maybe the two of you can share in. Like my hope in in bringing this up is that I'll feel closer to you. My hope is that we'll be on the same page on our work team. My hope is that I'll have some peace and be able to sleep at night. So Mm. generate the upside and that'll have you ideally more motivated to actually want to talk about it. If all you can see is downside, why would you want to go and have it? That's awesome. I love that reframe, by the way, because, you know, in in what I tell people all the time as well, when they're focused on the fear and the negative side, it's always bigger in their head than the reality, right? And so by focusing on the, right. Oh, it's like this huge breaking news. I'm like, no one sees it that way except you, (laughs) you know? It's, it's almost like that. Sometimes you, you, you think you're all right and it blows up. So that can happen. But most of the time 
it's bigger in your head than it is in someone else's. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I love the reframe of focusing on the hope and the positive. Okay. That's a great first step. What's the next one? Well, the next, next question on the worksheet is what are you afraid of? How could this go wrong? That's important because sometimes fears are just kind of amorphous. They're vague. They're foggy. We just, we just know we don't want to talk to this person. Say someone's mm-hmm. late for you constantly and you don't want to bring it up. You just don't want to bring it up because you think it probably won't go well, but you haven't named it. In naming mm. the fear, sometimes it softens it. And even if it doesn't soften it, I like to be clear on why I'm afraid of it because then I can share that with the other person when we get to the next steps and say, I'm, wor- I'm worried to bring this up with you because I'm, I'm afraid of this. Yes. Now, yes. Now we can now we can be related around that. It's so true. That client that I was talking about in the top of the call, she's like, "Well, I'm afraid." Because I asked her that question. I said, "What are you afraid of?" She's like, "Well, I'm afraid that he'll leave and that I won't make him happy." And I said, "What if you told him that?" She goes, right. "Oh, <laughs> that's always the answer." Right? Yeah, it's always the answer. In all my coaching, they they say something to me, and mm-hmm. I say, "Great, that sounds clear." Could you find a way to share that? That's exactly over and over and over. So this worksheet, the first step in the care model is the C stands for clarify. Clarify the issue. Do the worksheet. And it'll ask you questions like this. The next question is, what's a request you could make? You know what's wrong. You know what's not working. But what's something they could do that would help move this forward? Mm -hmm. That doesn't come naturally, even to me. I just know what's wrong. You know, what's a request? Well, my request is we go back in time and you not do the damn thing that upset me. Okay, that's not very useful. Let's come up with, and I keep looking until I can find something they could do. Maybe it's as simple as my request is just that you hear me out and understand my side of it and the impact that this had on me. That's it. Sometimes that's a win. That's a good point. Can I ask a question? I wondered if you had any hacks per se, for people who can't come up with that on their own? Because I find that that's one of the most challenging things when I'm helping people. I mean, you and I are there coaching people, but for people who don't have coaches, is there something they can do to access that? I don't know. It's a good question. I don't yeah. have an easy hack for that. I had to sit, like someone said to me, I was, I was getting coached around my aunt who I just, I'd felt upset. I'd felt disappointed and let down by something that she wasn't willing to do for me. And they said, what's a request you could make? And I was like, wow, like this has already happened. And I had to really look hard to find out, is there something I want from her? Now, maybe there's not, and that's okay. But I I finally came up with, I guess I'd just like her to understand that this was a really big issue. And I'd like to know if it happened again, might she be a yes or a no? So at least I know where, where I stand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was that was the best, but it's asking the question. I think is a win. I do too, For and yourself. you know, yeah, and sometimes even just stating that you don't know is okay too. And and so if you can't access what it is that you want, even saying that to the person, you know, there's there's something I know that right. I I. 
I feel like I want to change and it's, this is not landing right with me, but I'm not quite sure what that is. Like, and then exactly. throwing it back to the other person, how do you feel? Like, are you feeling that way too? And, and then that's part of the clarification because it is, it, I think this is, I mean, unless they have a coach like you and I, it's, it's hard to access that. So yes. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So, so it's like this worksheet can be your coach in a way It'll yeah. help because often the reason I don't want to have a tough conversation is it's murky, it's foggy, and I don't right. understand what's happening in me. I don't fully understand what I'm upset about. I don't fully understand what I want or what they could do that could solve this for me. And no wonder people want to avoid a tough conversation and just sweep it under the carpet. You're, there's a good chance you'll screw it up mm-hmm. if you don't have clarity. So enter uh, the, the four-step care model to the rescue. And that first C, again, is for clarify. And mm-hmm. uh, once you do that, you, there's a box to check that says, I am willing to accept these possible consequences. And if you're willing, you know, like, like maybe I'm afraid that they will um, get defensive and they won't hear me out. Or I'm afraid they might start attacking me. Or I'm afraid they'll call me oversensitive that mm-hmm. I'm having an issue with this, or I'm afraid they'll break up with me or I'll get fired or, or whatever it is. Are you willing to accept the possible consequences? If you're not, okay, that's done. Yeah. You don't have to, don't proceed to the next three steps. Do not, you know, you're done. But if you are willing, you can move on to the next three steps and actually have the conversation with the person. Absolutely. And, and the thing that, you know, I tell people with that, it's, it's very true. Like thinking of the consequences, most people, and, and this is just, I'll put my therapy hat on for a second, they're scared of the conflict. And that's that's an old trigger. That's the old tape. That's the gremlin that, that's coming up for them. And that discomfort they're feeling in the stomach is that old feeling again. It's like, oh my God, like, like people are, are going to get mad at me, you know, or yell or scream or whatever it is. Even though intellectually they may know that that's not true. It's the body response, the emotional response. Yeah. And so w- the thing that it's almost counterintuitive to most like people pleasers and, and conflict avoidant people is that when you don't say anything, you're causing more conflict than yeah. you would if you said something. I love how you said that in the intro, that conflict causes conflict and it causes two kinds of conflict. It causes ultimately more conflict with the other person, yes. but it causes internal conflict. Yeah. And it, you may experience that as a very strong sensation, like you may not sleep, you may just feel some sense of dread. I recently had an experience where... Um, I, I did something and I thought no one was around. I'd be fine. And I, I think I was caught doing it, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. Do I bring it up? Do I not bring it up? And for four hours, this was all I could think about. And it gave me some more empathy just to remember the pain that you mm. people can go through when you're not bringing it up. So it may be strong like that or it may be subtle that you just don't like the person, you're less likely to invite them over to hang out, mm-hmm. you, um, you're less likely to want to work with that person. It can be, be just subtle over time. And I'd suggest, wouldn't it be better to pay up front 
yes. and pay with the awkwardness up front than to accumulate this stuff over time. Let's just get it done. If it's going to be a fight or a blow up, I, I don't think it will if you follow the care model. But if it is, mm-hmm. let, let's have that happen now and get that information. Yeah. And then maybe we'll have a round two later on and we'll solve it in round two. That's my so bias. True. So true. And and by the way, what you're talking about is anxiety that builds up, you know, that, yeah. that feeling of that restlessness and, and then you ruminate and then you feel depleted and then you're right. The behaviors, well, I just call them passive aggressive behaviors. It, it could be the roll of the eyes. It could be a huff as they pass that person, you know, but, but yeah. those little things add up. Yeah. It could be gossiping. You can start, you complain yes. to other people about them and Uh, anxiety is definitely a strong one. It could be resentment. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I don't like how they did that to me. And Mm -hmm. I can never get it, or I can never get a word in edgewise with this this friend. And I don't want to say anything because I'm going to offend them. Well, now with the four steps, uh, you've got a good chance of having a really open conversation. You can't control whether or not they get offended, but your chances are going to be better if you follow the model. Not only that, you get to see who shows up for you, who is the good friend, who is somebody who's healthy for you. Because the people who are not healthy won't respond well to it, then they're, you got to assess that friendship or that relationship. That's a possibility that you could get information that this isn't a good relationship for you, or mm-hmm. it could just be that they're really triggered by that. Maybe yeah. they don't like to hear that they talk too much or that they... Um, they do a lot of complaining or blaming or whatever it is. They may, they may have uh, a reaction to it. The key is, I think, can you stick with them while they have their reaction? Mm-hmm. Can you be with them and just breathe and just be like, yeah, I can totally get. And that's the fourth step, actually, we'll get there, which is okay. inquiring into how it lands for them. They may mm-hmm. have a whole world of reaction. You don't know, but you can be with them while they go through it. Yeah, that's a good point too. And I think the more you practice speaking up with that person over time, it's it's like you collect data for yourself. Because to your point, it could be just like, it's a trigger for them, whatever you're talking about, or maybe they're having a bad day. But if you see a pattern over time where people react the same way, whether in anger or abusive behaviors, whatever it is, then that's the red flag. Yeah, you need to, this is great because now I think we're, we're talking about setting some boundaries and working out mm-hmm. like who, who are we willing to invest the time of a tough conversation with? Oh, yay, and, right. Yeah, and so uh, a, a couple of examples from my, my fairly recent past. I had one acquaintance. I didn't really know her well. I don't like her. Mm-hmm. It, there's something about her <laughs> mannerism that seems to like suck the attention uh, from a mm-hmm. room and I just, it bugs that it bugs me. And I uh, would normally not, not even bother to bring it up, but I'd invited a group of people to come to my party and I, my birthday party. And I'm like, damn, I don't want her sucking the attention out of the room. I want the attention on this. So I decided to have a tough conversation with her and she didn't, uh, she had a reaction. She's like, well, you know, this doesn't feel good to me and mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to come. And I'm like, okay, boom, done. That's appropriate. And I reached out later and I said, do you want to talk about it? And, you know, I want to check for impact. 
How was that for you? She didn't want to talk about it. Boom, I don't need to be friends with that person and it doesn't keep me up at night. I've got another friend who uh, when we talk on the phone, I notice I want to get off the phone pretty early. I don't want to just chit chat about random stuff and uh, I don't like talking on the phone much mm-hmm. either. And so I, I told her that. I said, look, I don't like a lot of phone time, so I'd rather asynchronous communication. Send me a voice message. Send me a text or whatever. I, I like that. I just don't like talk on the phone. And she wrote back and said, that's insulting and offensive. Hmm. I'm like, okay, I get that that's her experience. I didn't deal with it. I don't have to. That's her experience. Now, if it was a really close friend, and I want more connection with that person, I'm going to offer to have a conversation about it. We'll get into it. But like, what's that like for you to hear that? And then maybe she'll be willing to hear my side and we'll, we'll work it out. I just don't need that much communication with this person. So I just, I left it at that and things seem to be fine. We have a text every now and then and maybe twice a year I, I might be out and I'll think, oh, I'll just call her while I've got a few minutes. Um, So, yeah, you get to choose. The thing I'm worried about or concerned about is that most people by default are choosing to stay silent way too much. So true. Because they don't, they weren't trained and they don't have the steps and they don't want to screw it up. Well, I'm here to say download the worksheet, keep it in your back pocket and fill it in anytime you have an issue with somebody, it's going to be your friend. And then you may decide, I can now go and talk to that person. And you take the worksheet with you and say, I wrote down some stuff so I don't forget anything. You can do that. It's great. I, and I love like actionable, you know, things that you can do. It, I think it also gives people like that power like and control, especially when they're feeling out of control and filled with anxiety. You know, the boundary setting thing was really good that you said because I find, and I don't know if you find this too, a lot of people think of boundaries in black and white, meaning either I say something or I don't. I'm either friends or I'm not, you know, and and a lot of times it's more about what you want and then you get to choose how and what boundary to set. So for instance, I had, um, like I had a client who we were doing a cost benefit analysis on friendships because as she was getting healthier, meaning emotionally, she was finding that her friends were falling off. And understandably so, because her friendships were lopsided. Like she was constantly giving, giving, giving to them, and she was never receiving. So when she learned to have tough conversations and speak her truth, those friends didn't like her that way at all. So she had to really, you know, kind of, and, and I said, you know, it might not be that you get rid of these people, but you might have to shift the way that you want their friendship for you? Like, what are you benefiting from that? And so it goes back to how you feel and stating what you need and what you want, and then setting a boundary around what that looks like for you. So maybe the person who you used to go out with all the time, who monopolizes your time and is not a good wing girl for you, she becomes somebody that you just have brunch with every Sunday, (laughs) you know, and then you find yourself a good set of wing gals who is more positive for you, who encourages dating and all of that. So I just wanted to highlight that because of what you're saying with the boundary setting, it, it, it really is about what you want and you get to dictate what it is you want. Yeah. And that's, that's a very common, tough conversation. 
I, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't like it when you do that. And I just prefer you didn't, or I don't like it when you do that. If you keep doing it, there's going to be a consequence. That's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yes. I think I started 20 years ago coaching in, in boundary setting. And it, you know, <laughs> what, what I find, maybe you found this too with your clients is when we first start setting a boundary, we're going to be a bit clumsy around it. Oh yeah. And, and we might use a sledgehammer when, when, uh, something softer might be appropriate. And that's, that's fine. We mess it up a few times. We're a bit clumsy and a bit over the top. And then we get a bit more gentle. Once we know we can set a boundary, say, yeah, that doesn't really work for me. Yeah. Um, let's, <laughs> let's, let's not say we did. Let's do something else. It's true. Right? It gets easier and easier with practice. So, okay. I've, I actually have an interesting question for you. And it's more coming from being a guy. Because, you know, we have a lot of ladies listening. And I, and what I find with a lot of my lady clients is that they're scared that they won't be attractive to a guy if they state their truth. Like, can you speak, as, even just as a man, like, what do you think about a woman who speaks her truth and how attractive that is? Well, I think it all comes down to how. Yes. It's yes. how it's done. Now, I, mm-hmm. um, it's a requirement for me to be with someone who speaks their truth. We're not going to be hanging out very long if, if that doesn't happen. Also, I would like to think that I generate a field of that. I, every partner I've had, I, I require mm-hmm. truth. And, mm-hmm. I, and I use nosebleed honesty. In fact, I'll tell you uh, a funny a funny story. I hope women think it's funny too. But I was dating someone. We were in a serious relationship. And we had an agreement that I could kiss other women and nothing else. That, that was the limit of our relationship. And one, one day she found a pair of panties in my closet <sighs> that weren't hers. And she's like, whose are these? Uh-huh. And I looked at her and I'm like, I got no idea. Now, I didn't feel guilty at all. I was just really mystified and interested. I'm like, how is this possible that there are panties in my closet? And we were both mystified. And uh, I thought of a date I had. I said, I did have somebody here and and we did make out, but her pants stayed on. I don't know how panties would get there. Oh and her friend, her friend said to her, how can you trust him? Because mm-hmm. in our society, if a guy says, oh, no, I didn't do anything, he's probably lying. Mm-hmm. Just be, And I'm that sad, but it's because a lot of people are not honest. But she was able to say to her friends, trust me, if there was something to know, I would know because he would not spare my feelings. He would tell me. So I think we can generate a field of honesty and, uh, and I, I, I want that for everybody. Now, it's about how you share your truth with a guy. If you just, if you don't follow this, the care model yeah. and you just blindside him with stuff, then, all right, that might not go over very well. What's an example of some truth that a woman might want to speak to a guy, but she's feeling a bit nervous about, about how he's going to handle it? Yeah, like, you know, it could be something so simple as a first date and let's say she doesn't drink or something and then he wants to take her to have happy hour and that's just not her jam, you know? Yeah, yeah, great. Right? Great. So I think it's super important 
to share something like that because otherwise, uh, like, let's suppose he just wants to be a drinker. Yeah. Let, let's get that out up front. We could save mm-hmm. a lot of time. So I think that's a really good example. And um, I don't even th- know if you'd need the care model right here. If it's the first date and he's offering a drink or he's saying, let's go to a bar, I'd probably suggest telling him, you know, FYI, I don't drink, but I'm totally fine if you do. And I'm happy to go to a bar if you are, right? That's got to mm-hmm. be true. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, go. I'm happy if you drink. Um, maybe how would you feel about capping it at two drinks? Because it's, it's not as fun for me if we're on totally different playing fields, right? If we're in different areas, it's just less fun. How would you feel about that? Let's find out up mm-hmm. front. I think that's a great idea. If he doesn't want to date you, and I could see how that could happen. I, I know, notice for me, alcohol is a great social lubricant. So I usually feel more comfortable. We can have a couple of drinks. It's mm-hmm. going to be a whole other thing if we're both not drinking or if I'm drinking and she's not. But what a great conversation. Let's just explore. Maybe he's happy to go for tea or you're yes. going to meet, meet for coffee and then you can share, you can share how you feel about it. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying and what we're talking about is that you shouldn't modify your behavior just to please someone else is that it's always best to, to state, you know, your, your truth in your mind. That's a tough conversation to have maybe about not drinking, but as you know, you, David, that you're talking, it doesn't have to be, and you get to see like how they react and how you can compromise and, and, energetically how that works. And ladies, don't forget, because I don't know, David, if you know this, I teach flirting a lot. And that is like, it doesn't have to be so serious. Like something like that can be very fun and flirty if you do it the right way. You know, it doesn't have to be like, well, let me tell you, I really don't drink. Like, of course, we're not saying that. (laughs) No. So I, I can see two ways to go about this. If it can be light for you, then great. You can say, by the way, I don't drink. I'm okay if you do, or I don't drink. How do you feel about coffee? Yeah. And then get the answer. But then uh, let's use the care model actually for this. I think this will be really instructive and we can, great. I can outline the steps. So first clarify the issue, fill in the form and the worksheet will ask, what are you afraid of? Like, how could this go wrong? And you write it down. I'm afraid he might not want to go out with me. Mm-hmm. Or you might think I'm boring. What's your hope? Well, my hope is that we feel even more connected and and have a and you know learn something about each other, and hopefully have a really fun date. And and what's my, what my request? Uh, well, my request would be that maybe limit it to two drinks, or that we go to a coffee house. So you get clarity, and then. Proceed to step two if you're willing to have this conversation. Step two is ask permission. Mm. And so on the phone, you might be like, hey, can I, there's some, here's the formula for asking permission. So and so, there's something I'm, I'm hesitant to bring up because, and you insert your fear. But I want to bring it up because, and you insert your hope. Mm-hmm. Do you have a few minutes now? So it might go like this. In this example, hey, Bill, there's something I'm hesitant to bring up because I'm afraid you'll think I'm boring and you won't want to go out. There you go. But but I've decided I do want to bring it up because it'll tell you more about me and I can find out more about you and uh, I might feel closer to you and and we might have a really fun date. 
So do you have a few minutes now for me to tell you what it is? Yeah. That's step two, ask permission. And I would sprinkle some flirtiness like, and by the way, I am really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Right? Like it can be playful and you can still state your needs and have fun doing it. Nice. Awesome. Nice. You know, I'm, 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 but you can, you can also reveal, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm nervous to bring this up because I don't know what you're going to think. And by the way, I'm awesome. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. And then, and then step three, the R stands for reveal and request. So you reveal the issue. I don't drink. And um, and I'm still super fun. I'm hoping you still want to go out. And what I'd ask is, can we go to a coffee house? I know this awesome coffee house. Let's go and have brunch. Or, you know, or let's take a walk together. I love walking. Are you a walker? Let's go for a walk. So lots of things you can do. And then here's, right. this is very important. Step four is inquire. You want to find out how is it for him? To find out that you're not a drinker, is it a bit? Is it is it less enticing? Is it uh, is it fine? Is it uh, like nothing at all? Is it a big deal? Um, what's it like? They may not tell you, but you can at least ask. Like, what's it like for you that you know to find out straight away before we've even had the first date that I don't drink? You might have a great conversation. You know, it might be awkward for him to to have a first date without alcohol. I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. This is so good, David. Thank you. And I love that you just did this as an example because that can really help. And I encourage everybody to download that sheet. That's just great, great action that you can do right now and practice on your own, you know? So, well, David, we could literally go on and on forever. What, maybe just share some last parting words of wisdom and where everyone can find you. Last words of wisdom would be speak your truth 30% more than you currently do. That's my invitation. Mm. The doorways, the tough conversations we haven't had are our doorways to deeper love, intimacy, and connection. So uh, the ones that we do have become, uh, literally become the defining moments of our careers and our lives. So if you want to find out more about me, playforreal.life is my website. And you can download the four-step care model. It's a free download. You can also subscribe to Tough Conversations with David Wood. So listeners, love to have you join me and listen to me as, the, as well as the amazing Kim. And mm-hmm. uh, the third thing is if you're interested in coaching, maybe you're an entrepreneur or a manager and you're interested in up-leveling your leadership skills, your life and your work or business, request a session with me. I don't charge for these discovery sessions if you qualify for a session because it's how I find the right people to work with long-term. And you can do all three of those things at playforreal.life. Love it. Oh, my gosh. Well, David, I had so much fun playing for real with you here. (laughs) So, again, thank you so much for joining me. And this has been the Charisma Quotient. Of course, I'm your host, Kim Seltzer. And remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. And if you want to know more, make sure you go to my site, seltzerstyle.com. 
And if you listen to this and you realize you're conflict avoidant and it's preventing you from attracting an intimate relationship or the right partner or the right date, hop on a call with me, hop on a call with David, you know, either one, just having that roadmap and a strategy to help you even beyond what you can do on your own can really make a difference. And stay tuned until next week with more tips on how to feel and look fabulous every day. 